Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, welcome everybody to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Schwinny Poo, and this is episode 263. I am joined on a chilly uh, Tuesday morning by my co-host, Stacy. that is at StacyFat89. Stacy, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm fucking miserable and pissed. Uh, tired of basketball. Yeah, I feel that, uh, and we're going to talk all about it, uh, but before we get started, I have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. Give it a follow. It's at thestrick.land on Instagram. Uh, we're putting out all kinds of new content on there, so if you could give us a follow, that would be a huge help. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel, which you may be watching this podcast on. If you are, please hit the like button and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. So if you have not subscribed, please do so now. We also, Strickland, has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There are a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag that comes out every other week, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, along with Dallas Amico, who is back from fighting the good fight against the powers that be in California. There. Or, oh, and you also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the next even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, $100 tier. This comes with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in to pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, um, without further ado, let's get started. The Knicks lost yesterday, 123-121, to the Raptors in overtime. Uh, they did win three straight prior to that, beating whew, Washington, Detroit, and some other team I can't remember right now. Off the, top of my head. Uh, the Pacers, that's what it was. Uh, they lost to the Bucks last Monday. So, uh, you know, mixed, mixed little structure, but... The key is not stacking losses and stacking wings. So as annoying as yesterday's game was, uh, they still remain in a pretty good position overall. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Like, we'll talk about the insane minutes that the is doing right now. And I can understand it to an extent, but I think he's taking a very dangerous extreme already. Um, but I'm not really interested in blaming individual players they lost. I'm not really interested in discussing Tibbs' rotations. I actually think Tibbs, all things considered, coach, um, I would have liked to see him not trap Scotty Barnes and send as much help as he was, because I had no concern. You know, contrary to what Scotty Barnes thinks, he didn't do fucking shit yesterday. He definitely didn't do anything on RJ Barrett, so I didn't think that we needed to help off him as much as he did, and that actually I thought keyed a lot of uh, good possessions for the Raptors late in that game when they made their comeback, but uh, all I really want to talk about is I think the refing, the officiating in this game was a, a joke. I thought it was atrocious. I thought the fact that the Knicks were even in position to win the game 
considering the whistle that was being called the entire night was a credit to them and a credit to their uh, mental fortitude, the resilience they showed, especially on the second of a back-to-back. But Schwinn, they still had opportunities, even if the refs are fucking them constantly. Yeah, and had I, just, I you can't use that as an excuse. You're not allowed. The refs are about if the refs give every call to Raptors, you're not allowed to have that. You you ha- you still supposed to win. And I actually like I ge- I generally like I do think like generally speaking, officiating like how much it tilts a game is usually like not. It's not as much as like people will argue. Like fans will argue, right? I, I just yesterday was like it was actually that bad. And I and I I take obviously what you're saying you're being sarcastic, but, like, like I generally tend to feel that way, even if I will say the officiating is bad. Yesterday's not one of those games. Yesterday was, like, I, I genuinely don't know coaching in a game like that, playing in a game like that. Like, it, it makes your life so hard as a player and as a coach to figure out how to adjust to that. And, like, it, it was... There were sequences that were just so ridiculous. Like, there was one... Randall gets a steal. He's out on the break. I think Siakam fouled him in the contest. I'm okay with that no call. Brunson has a follow-up. Ananobi literally knocks into him. And, like, it's a no call. There's another one. Brunson drives. Clearly gets fouled by Scotty Barnes. No call. On then RJ's dunk, they were holding him down by right. the fucking shoulder. Yeah. And, like, and that's game. If he makes yeah, the free throw. If he makes the free throw, is a big caveat there. But, yeah, like. Given, given that he's Nick, that's not an RJ specific thing. But. Yeah, you know, and it's and then it's like and then you had the uh, and then obviously the one I was just talking about where Brunson gets knocked down. It's a clear foul; they don't call it. It's a three on one fast break either way. Quickly makes a great play. He basically cuts off both the passes, so he forces Scotty to take a shot. And since Scotty Barnes is a fucking joke of a player, he gets stuffed by Emmanuel quickly at the rim. He catches the ball. His foot is clearly out of bounds. Like, it's obvious. And there's two refs standing right there, one on the baseline and one on the sideline, staring at this. Nobody calls it. He gets the ball, lays it back in. That's a massive swing. That's like, one, it should have been a foul for us either way, so it shouldn't have ever been a fast break. And then, two, you give a bucket that shouldn't have been a bucket after a great defensive play by quickly. That entire stretch was a joke. Um, And then, yeah, obviously the last play of the game, you know, you've got RJ comes down, dunks. And it like not only did he grab his shoulder, he also hit him up top on the arm. So like he fouled him twice on the play. There's a ref again, Scott Foster, who decided that he had to like, you know, he must have had a lot of money laying riding on this one. Um, he had he he was on the baseline staring at it. You got another ref on the sideline looking at it, and you've got the third ref trailing the play. So he's got the whole play in front of him. If none of those guys can see that, then why even have refs? And and then the other piece of this that like the thing like so. You know, there were people who were like, oh, well, you was obstructed, blah, blah. Scott Foster made a call uh, right before that, the possession before, actually, where uh, Brunson takes a shot. He missed it. Randall gets called for a loose ball foul. Was it a loose ball foul? Yeah, probably. I also think on that play, Fred Van Vliet pushing Randall before he pushes Scotty Barnes, but I kind of understand why you call the foul on, on Randall. But, like, Scott Foster, he was the furthest ref from the play. He's got, like... Six guys in between him and where Randall and all this shit is happening underneath the rim. He's the one that caused that. So like, I, I it was it was such an egregiously officiated game yesterday. And I know the numbers. I think it ended up being like the Raptors had forty free throws and we had thirty two. That really is not going to tell you the, the the story. Yeah, not when one team has Julius Randall and Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett, and uh, the other team is doesn't 
right? I mean, Siakam draws a lot of fouls. He gets to the paint a lot, but that's the Knicks. That's the Knicks game. And um, you know, it, it's um, I, I first of all, I think that there's probably some mitigating factors. I think the Knicks are a difficult team to officiate because they have a lot of players that do see content. I think Randall is probably along with a guy like Zion Williamson, um, you know, maybe Cat Joel Embiid. Those guys are just very tough to officiate. There's always going to be contact on every. So I get it. That's a difficult player to officiate. Brunson does some cheap shit sometimes to draw fouls. He's tough to officiate. Uh, and RJ tries to, to draw a lot of fouls too. So I get, but on the other end, it's the, the other, the other end you have, you, I mean, what is Fred Van Fleet if not a foul merchant, right? How much cheap shit was he doing on both ends? Uh, Siakam just runs and like he's, it's like he's having a fucking orgasm on every drive. Like it's 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 disgusting to watch, um, and, and it's not and, the and first. They, they also they also had that one, so, like it, it's crazy the amount of shitty calls that that were made in this game against the Knicks. They had the one where Gary Trent Jr. pulls up and he literally jumps forward into quickly. He yeah. makes the shot, which is fine. Like he makes the shot, so count that. He gets a free throw out of it too, which is and a that's joke. been a point of emphasis for that's right. been a point of emphasis, and it always seems to. And, um, but I mean, yes, like, and the, then they I'm, reviewed the one in overtime. I could not believe that. I, I don't see how they were. Fred Van Vliet jumps elbow first into Brunson's head. Okay. They call a foul on that on the floor, which in real time I thought was an atrocious call on the floor. They call, they review it. On the review, you can see that he jumps into, into Brunson with his elbow leading right into his face. But you also see that Scotty Barnes is setting the most illegal screen ever. And that's a screen that I've seen Hartenstein get called for multiple fouls on this year, like at least three or four or five times. And they and they review it and they say the call stands. Like I can understand if you review it and you say it's not an offensive foul, but it's not a defensive foul, so it's just Raptors ball side out. I can I can understand that. I'm okay with that. To call to review it and be like the call stands. That, I'm sorry. Like how do you review that and 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 not like I, I genuinely can't even wrap my brain around this. There's no way you can review that call and and come to the conclusion that it was a it was a defensive foul. Like it's just not. Like there's there's nothing there that you can call for that. And I'm sorry. Like the fact that Scott Foster is still officiating games in this league is a fucking joke. This guy clearly bet on NBA games. It's a very obvious thing. Unless, you know, he's calling Tim Donahue was calling this guy more than his bookie. So, you know, look, I don't know. Maybe they're having like a very Maybe their relationship is really special, but like, I don't think you're, you're as somebody who has, uh, you know, dabbled in gambling, let me just tell somebody, you probably don't call anybody more than your book, all right? Not your mom, not your girlfriend, not your best friend, not your dog, nobody, okay? You're, you're calling your book more than anybody. So for him to be calling Tim, Tim to, or to be talking to Scott Foster before and after every time he's calling his bookie, it says something. And the fact that the NBA still has this guy fucking, like, if you want to brush it under the rug so it goes away, fine. Get this fucking guy out of the league. He's a joke. He's an absolute joke. He had it out for the Knicks yesterday, and it was obvious from the beginning of the game. From the start of the game till the end of the game, he was on absolute bullshit. That entire crew is a joke. They should never officiate on the Knicks game again. They shouldn't officiate an NBA game again. And he should never, he should be out of a job. That guy is a pathetic loser piece of shit. And he is like, the fact that he's still calling NBA games is a total black mark on the league. And it, it's insulting to me as a fan to be told that this guy won didn't bet on games, and two, he's completely fit for purpose. I've never watched a game that Scott Foster calls and have come away not thinking about the fact that Scott Foster officiated the game. That's a problem. That's a bad 
bad official. He's a bad, bad, he's a terrible, terrible referee. He should never officiate another game in this league, but he's going to. He'll probably officiate another 15 next game this year, and I'm probably going to want to fucking blow my brains out after each one. Yeah, there was also, there, I mean, there were just multiple drives where, like, Brunson gets hit in the face by Van Fleet, gets called for a foul. Um, it's just, but it's it's every game now. I mean, how many of these games, it's like, it's the same thing. The Knicks build a small a lead. They, they led the entire second half, basically until until the, the last minute. And then RJ tied with the dunk. That should have been an and one. And it's the same recipe, right? It's, I can't even, I, I can't, like, to your point, I can't get that much on Tibbs. Um, I personally think that the offense is right now a little bit too, there's a little bit too much RJ Barrett, particularly when the bench is on there. Um, but I don't like, I don't like what he's doing. I, I don't understand the bench offense at all. Like, and I, so this is like, I get like Deuce is in his own head and he's just not doing anything. So I, I get like, there's going to be some level of natural struggle there. But you have quickly an RJ on the floor. He's having Deuce bring the ball up for some reason half the time. More than half the time, it seems quickly like. Quickly barely yeah. touched the ball. I mean, yeah, quickly and, barely touched And Andre yeah. had more shot attempts than Julius Randle in the first half last year. I never thought I would say that and be unhappy about it last year, at least. But RJ took 11 shots in the first half. He's 3-11. Randle was 4 for 8. Now, credit the Raptors for getting the ball out of Randle's hands, and Randle made the right decision. But the bench, I think the bench offense, would, the way like Tibbs wants one of the starters out there, and he wants them running the set. I think when McBride brings the ball up, it's because they're going to give it to, to Barrett. But I just, I'm not sure RJ should be that guy. I think it should, I mean, ideally it's probably one of Brunson or Randall. And that's what he was doing when RJ was hurt. He would keep one of Brunson or Randall out there, especially when it's clear the bench couldn't do anything with that too big lineup with, with, um, with both of them out. And I think what, like he, he wants a designated bench babysitter from the starting lineup. And, and, it's, and it's usually an offensive player because McBride and Quickly are good on defense. Um, I, I agree with that. I just don't think it should be RJ. I actually, my my take on this is I actually would like that rotation to change. So what I would like to happen is what, what's been happening, right, is he brings quickly in for RJ, and then quickly RJ grinds, or sorry, quickly Brunson R, uh, grinds, close the first quarter, and then RJ comes back in either sometimes very late in the first, but usually at the start of the second. I actually and and Brunson goes out then too, so it's usually you know RJ Quick Deuce Obi, uh, and uh, shit. Why well, can't I think of the name? And uh, Hartenstein. Sorry, Jesus. Sorry. Um, that's usually what what that. But I, what I actually would like to see is Grimes come back in with that group and have and RJ play the entire first quarter. And I know that's like. Like I know there are people that are like, well, you have three shot creators, you should split them up. Fine, you, maybe maybe that's true. Right now, I think we have two. That's my yeah. point. Also, I, I I also I actually think we have four. I just think we're leaning on RJ way too much. Uh, I think if we have a third, it's not RJ. It's the guy I assume you're talking about. But also, I think I'd rather just we we can play RJ or, or we can play Randall or Brunson with them. So why not Randall? Now we can't because of Moby. So fine, so play Brunson with the bench, right? And, and let quickly take his minutes with the starting lineup. Um, I just, um, I, I, I don't like running the offense to RJ Barrett right now. Um, I like getting him the ball off of side action. I like him running side pick and rolls, but I like him as the secondary creator. He can even take the most shots, but I just don't like, um, him initiating and trying to create against the set defense right now. 
yeah, I mean, I'm not in love with that, but I also think that, like, you when you don't have, if, like, Deuce is not going to give you anything, like, you're going to have some of those possessions. And, like, to be honest, yesterday I thought Brunson had a bad game. So, that's fair. So, I'm, like, I, and I thought RJ actually, like, his first half wasn't great, but I didn't, I didn't actually hate the shots he was taking. Like, would I have liked to see him pass a few more times? Sure. But I actually thought for the most part his shots were good, and that's well, why he's like, not a good mid-range shooter, and he takes he's been taking a lot of them. I get that he's trying to add that to his game, but I, on that lineup, I would have preferred quickly to. I think that quickly will get RJ better shots than RJ will get for himself. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I also just think the way we're running the offense, like there's just not a lot of assist opportunities for anybody. Like it's just not. It, it's just. just it's just what it is. Like I don't think this is like like I I think I've seen enough now of this team where. And I'm not I'm not here to say whether this is right or wrong. This is the choice. This is how Tibbs is running it. But like you're just not gonna have high assist totals running the offense the way we do, regardless of whether it's you're running it through Brunson or Randall. They've had a, or they've had a few They've had a few big assist games. What was also really I think at the end of regulation, Quentin Grimes had three shot attempts. He finished an overtime game with five shot attempts. Yeah, uh, it's just not enough. Like with, these guys are not like they're not getting him involved. That is a complete failure. Of the offense, because he is he is he is really your only. He's the only guy. Him and Brunson are the only guys shooting well above average from three. We all think Quickly is a good shooter. Randall is capable, but you need to like. It's like, it's like you know if you look in the at halftime and Christian McCaffrey is two two receptions and two carries right for the the Niners. You'd be like, what's the game plan? Right? Well, that's, that's just what, that's, a, that's saying, just a classic uh, Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> Galaxy brain game plan. And I'm not saying Grimes is the equivalent of Kyle McCaffrey, but the, or Christian McCaffrey. Excuse me. <laughs> um, but um, the point is, like that, and it's frustrating because we always seem to lose these games on on three pointers. We shot nine for thirty one. Thirty one shots is not a low total, but Toronto didn't shoot that well. But they took forty four threes. So just and, just uh, just real quick, uh, according to Basketball Reference, the Knicks rank twenty sixth in assists per hundred possessions. Uh, they are they they average twenty two point seven. Dallas is tied with them actually, also at twenty two point seven. Then it's Detroit twenty two point four, Orlando twenty two point four, Houston twenty two point two. Like again, there are good teams and Dallas, right? Yeah, and I mean the, the there greatest are... ISO creator in the league probably. Right, and like so, I mean Oklahoma City's twenty third. They they've actually been pretty good this year. Um, the Clippers are twenty fifth. They've been up and down. Obviously, their top level is great, but like the point is like. I just, I don't think, I, I, I don't, like, look, it is what it is. I think Tibbs is doing a fine job with his team. Not great, not amazing, but, like, fine. And I get that offensively, like, he's he's never going to, like, you're going to be a kind of stagnant ISO-E team with him as, as your coach. It's just what it is. I just think there is a better balance to be found. And I do think once Brunson, like, it seems like when Brunson, Brunson and Randall have kind of had it going offensively anyway since the start of the year, but once RJ kind of found a rhythm, it feels like it's become really, really a three-headed monster, and everybody else kind of just like lives off the scraps, and that's frustrating to me. Not because I think like Grimes, I don't think Grimes needs to be you know like some twenty usage guy right now. I don't think quickly needs to be he's the only, he's but the he, only he, consistent catch and shoot guy besides Brunson right now. Right, right, and but I'm saying like. It's not. It's not even about the specific usage to me. It's just like they are so uninvolved. Like Grimes is so uninvolved at times. And and to be uh, to be fair to Tibbs, um, 
you know, look, he always talks about like getting getting in the paint, make the right rim read, spray out shooters. I thought like I thought Brunson missed a good half dozen good kick out opportunities yesterday to Grimes, quickly, RJ, whoever. Um I just thought he had he had blinders on yesterday and I think him he and does Fred, a lot. It's yeah. just more noticeable when he's missing shots. And yeah. and I think him and Van Vliet had a little thing going on and he got sucked into that. And I think that influenced a lot of his decision making yesterday. That's part of the game and it's part of just you know, look, you can't expect look at the week Brunson had, right? Like okay, he's a lot of bad game. It's okay. It's fine. It happens. Um, but it is frustrating and it feels like Grimes is always the guy that pays for that, right? When like when guys when when guys aren't making the right reads, he always seems to be the odd man out offensively in that starting group. Um and, and I think when quickly comes in and he plays with them, it's the same deal, right? It actually almost becomes more extreme with how much Brunson and Randall do. Uh, when RJ goes out first, and then you have IQ and Grimes out with them, uh, and and I think like this is why I kind I almost want to reverse that because we like we didn't see a lot of it obviously because it was only a three game stretch where we didn't have Brunson or RJ, but I liked and I I thought Grimes showed you know he had a, he was up and down right against Dallas he was awesome then against uh, the Spurs he kind of like he bricked early and he just kind of went into a his hole. And then against Houston, he had it going again. But like, I like that fit with IQ and Grimes offensively. I think there's a natural, like, uh, what do you call it, synergy between them because IQ is easily, in my in my opinion, he's our best drive and kick player, and Grimes is obviously our best like beneficiary of that. And um, I also think like there's a like look, and you have two other plus passers on that lineup. Right. You have Hardenstein and Obi. So and Hardenstein, I'll say I I didn't. I thought he played well yesterday. Yeah. I, I thought he's. I think he's played well the last three games. Actually, I thought he played well against Washington. He has and, clear limitations, but I think he's finding a way to get involved, and I think um, I think he's playing with a little more confidence. So. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened between the Pacers game and the and the. I mean, it, maybe that that thing where that sequence, right, where he airballed like it was the it was the Bucks, right, uh, where he airballed the. He had one against the Pacers too. Um, one of those sequences. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that they need that bench lineup more. They, they're going to need more ball movement. And I just don't know that putting RJ in there is the, is the best way to make that happen. Um, it also hurts Obi, actually. Like, I think it hurts Obi a lot because, because you're not using, like, again, this is just what it is. I'm not saying right or wrong. Like, you, you're using Hartenstein as the role man. So Obi and and Obi is not being used in that context. So he's constantly just spacing the floor, um, like. But you're also not getting out in transition. Right. Right. They're not. They're not. Um. And Obi had to play with a big last year, and he he was really. I think part of it is Obi coming off his injury is like feeling things a, out right now. Feeling things out. New new players. He hasn't. He's not always familiar with. Um. I think that you know a more of an open ended. Uh, more of an open passing game. I'd probably the last Nick fan still on McBride Island, but I think he's capable. I think he was, he had a couple of nice games where he's shooting the ball with confidence. Um, but I, I, right now I just don't love RJ with that bench unit, but I mean, it just, it feels like it's the same fucking thing. Every game they get a lead, they play well, they build up your hopes. Then they had a 10, how many times have they had a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter? Another one yesterday. They missed just enough free throws to lose the game. Um, they get fucked by the refs all game, uh, and I'm just tired. I'm, I'm, I am tired of people saying, "Well, 
you know, like they had their opportunity. Here's the thing, right? I get why people have that mindset because in your life, you should have that mindset, right? That if things are, the world isn't fair, blah, 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 you still have to persevere. We don't play for the fucking team. I'm watching this to get some enjoyment and it's every fucking game. It's the same thing. Don't give me that shit because I'm like, guess what, right? If I tell you, right, go run a race with a bunch of people, but you have to wear a 150 pound backpack and you lose by three seconds. And, and then I'm, I tell you, well, look, you still could have run faster than the other guys. Fuck you. You know, like, uh, I would have run a hell of a lot faster. You didn't put that fucking backpack on me. Um, and it's, just, it's not fun. Like, what part of that, like, we were going to win again. And it, it, I mean, how many games? There's five, six, seven games. They could have 30 fucking wins right now if they weren't getting dicked over every time. And part of that, I do, I do not know why they, they insist that two for four again from, Jalen Brunson, six for nine. From these guys are somehow eighty percent free throw shooters, but they managed to miss the biggest ones in the biggest games. You see these free throw lines. I don't know when they've met me free throws, uh, but I'm fucking tired of it. Um, our shout out RJ Barrett. He did go ten for eleven. Um, uh, quickly, quick, quickly got one seven to seven, and he, he had the. Well, he's a, this. This is like the one. I, I got a lot of five fouls too. By the way, that fucked the Knicks as well because he could only play twenty one minutes. I doubt RJ would have had to play forty nine if quickly wasn't in foul trouble. Yeah, I mean, I thought at least a few, the, a couple of those fouls were dubious to say the least. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I just want to say it's this, like Van Vliet bullshit. By the way, yeah, I've generally been a fan of Van Vliet for most of his career, but man, was he like so much cheap shit yesterday, man. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, the the one thing I got a lot of pushback on this, and I I really don't understand it. I'm actually going to try and look up the stats right now, but I thought the Knicks, I thought Tibbs had an opportunity to close that game with a small lineup and didn't i didn't love I, yeah like i, I thought oh, look, he, he brought in quickly for one possession quickly drew foul got to the line made both free throws but that was the only possession offensively where they played that small lineup with mitch off the floor and it's brunson quick grimes rj randall um i believe that mitch came in at that free throw the second at, in, in during that free throw sequence uh for brunson and like look this is not a knock really on mitch but, like, that was a game where he was a problem in the fourth quarter. They, they, he was all over the floor because the Raptors were playing five out, right? They were putting Barnes in the post. And for some reason, the Knicks just kept aggressively doubling on him, which I didn't think was useful, really. Um, and you just Mitch, put Mitch on Barnes, to be honest. Yeah, or really. Let him shoot, yeah. or, or, but, like, that, so, like, then you have Mitch trying to like scramble around in the perimeter. He couldn't do anything. So if you're gonna do that, then you have to play a smaller lineup. That's just a fact. Like Mitch. Well, I think the, the. I mean, they did. The Knicks did have 20 offensive rebounds yesterday. So I think the, the sure. hope would be that you make up for it on that side, right? But like, I just I think there's a consistent issue now, and we've seen this now in a few games. When teams go small or they play five out, whatever you want to call it, at the end of a game, Mitch struggles. He's not great in that alignment, and if you, like you need to adjust there, like you have if you're not going because the Knicks fourth quarter defense, I think that's by far their worst quarter defensively. If you're not going to get stopped, which it shouldn't be, by the way, right? Because haven't we always been told that hey, the fourth quarter is ISO all day anyway, right? So I would imagine the Knicks are very unique in that their fourth quarter defense is the worst beyond just like fucking lottery team. Yeah, no, I, I just, it, it's just really frustrating because I'm like, I, I don't, yesterday was just a game to me where it's like, like, again, I, I'm not really interested in like, 
this is not like me killing tips for this because I I totally understand why he wanted Mitch out there. Like I don't, it's not a stupid decision or like oh my god, how could you do this, right? Um, but like I would have, you know, I would have liked to see. I would have liked to see that small lineup out there a little bit more. And people were like, well, you're going to get killed on the glass. The Raptors are getting so many rebounds. And I'm like, they were getting those rebounds with Mitch on the floor. So, like, like, what does that actually mean? Does that mean that, uh, you know, like, what, what does yeah, that if actually if it's, mean? That's the thing, right? If you're, if you you're going to play big against a small team, I don't hate that. Um, I think for, this, for the exact reasons why I think that if a team is killing you on the glass, you might have, well, we'll as well go small, right? Like, this is why I wanted to go small against the Pacers in that 2012 series. Like, anyway, if you're getting beat up by, by Roy Hibbert, counter, right? Um, don't fight fire with fire. You know, fight something else. Um, and, um, but if you're going to, if you're going to, whichever shot, you better, you better make sure you win the thing you're supposed to win. So if you go five out and you get killed on the glass, you better make sure you're shooting the ball well and you're scoring. And if you go big, you better make sure you're dominating the glass. Yeah, uh, just, I thought this was a regression from both Randall and RJ. R- Randall and RJ, I thought, had, um, I mean, I, they, I think they racked up, a, like, Randall had 15 rebounds, but I thought this was one of his poor rebounding games in recent memory. Uh, he's been much more attentive. There were a few where he just watched Siakam walk in. Um, I mean, to be honest, like, I just have a hard time really. They, the guy, they played so many minutes, especially Randall. Randall played what forty two. I'm talking about the first half, though. But yeah, second game of back to back. But like, yeah. I mean, I like I said this at the time. Like, I really thought in that first half. So they they played Detroit at one on Sunday, and then they had a three o'clock game yesterday. That turnaround is pretty brutal, um, especially like midday game. Like it's already weird, right? Um, I just thought in the first half, like sometimes you're, it's like you need five, six, seven, eight minutes to like get your legs back when you're playing. And that it, that's what it looked like to me. It looked like they were not just Randall, but like like they just all collectively looked a little bit sluggish to start that game yesterday. Uh, and then if you remember, like by the, the second quarter when they all came back in, they had they had their, like they, they were back in it. Like they, they, they got their juice back. They, they, leave, they seemed a lot better about it. So like, I, I just kind of chalked that one up to, like, and I agree with you, he didn't have a great rebounding game yesterday, but it's like, it's one where I'm like, I kind of just, yeah. Let it no, yeah, and that, that's cool. also why I'm saying it is. We got on him a lot for not boxing out earlier this year. I still think his boxing out technique is more just bump a guy, right, or like get in the way more than really putting a body on him. Um, but it works. That's all he really needs to do. As long as he doesn't just watch the ball, that's effective for Randall. Um, By the way, real quick, I just want to mention this. So yesterday, the Knicks uh, in their minutes without Mitch on the floor, they had an eighty percent defensive rebound percentage. And a forty-three point eight percent offensive rebound percentage. Um, with him on the floor, uh, the Knicks had uh, they had a 79, 78.8 defensive rebound percentage and a thirty-five point five offensive rebound percentage. So, like, and look, I know Hartenstein played some of those minutes, so you still had a big on the floor. But like, my point is more like I don't think Mitch was like this was not like a singularly dominant Mitch rebounding performance. And I would have risked, I would have taken the risk to, to go small. Again, I get why Tibbs didn't, and I'd like, you know, I think it's a totally reasonable choice that he made. Um, but like, I just, I really like that lineup, man. Like, and, and I, I just think that there's, there's something there. Like, again, they played one possession together offensively. Brunson gets in the paint easily, swings it to quick because they had to double down on Brunson. You've got somebody wildly closing out. I think, 
I forgot who it was on quick, quick blows by him baseline and is able to draw the foul on Ananobi at the rim. But it's like, you just see how much more space Brunson has in those lineups. Like, forget everybody else. The fact that, like, when you give Brunson that much space, you can't stop him from getting inside. And once he's in there, he, it, like, his decision making, it's so much easier for him to make decisions when it's not Mitch and Randall. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just so much more space. So, um, I would have liked to see that more. And I think that that would have been a really tough matchup for the Raptors because as bad as Brunson shot yesterday, he didn't have a problem getting to his spots. Um, and I, yeah, I just would have liked to see that. And I also like, I just, look, I just trust quick. I think he's, him and RJ yesterday, especially were really good at the end of games, but like, I think quickly is at the end of games, he's pretty consistently to me, one of the, he, he might be the best decision maker on the team in, in terms of close game situations. Who do you just trust to make, you know, good decisions with the ball, without okay. the ball? On that note. I, I probably still would go with Brunson, but Brunson is, he has more guns, so to speak, right? He has mm-hmm. more options, like, quickly does not have that. He's not the group. scoring package he has. Right, right. so so Brunson's decision-making becomes simplified, but I do think he's generally, and I, by the way, I don't have a problem with the, the pull-up three he took late. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. Anybody that has a problem with that, like, I saw people like, Mitch was open. If, if you watch that back, he's going to have to throw, like, a full, like, a three-quarters of the court pass over Siakam and somebody else running back towards to a him. guy who shoots fifty percent from the free throw line. Yeah, so and it's also like Mitch there. doesn't and Mitch doesn't have the like great. It's not like he's Randy Moss, right? Like he's not just he fumbles the ball a decent amount. It's not like he's got the best hands in the world. So he's not Nerlens Noel. Yeah, he's not Randy. Yeah, Moss, he's right? not. Yeah, he's not Nerlens Noel. Uh, but like, yeah, it's it's it is like again, you get an open pull up three for a guy that's I think he's forty percent for the year, like. I'm taking that. I don't care. And for the um, win, and in a game where the Knicks were clearly gassed. Yeah, I'm, right? I'm, and, I'm totally and fine. I'm trouble. taking that shot 100 times out of 100. I'm fine with that shot. And, I, and I'm quite honestly, like, I remember this actually reminds me, like, last year there was that huge argument, right, over, like, Jimmy Butler taking the pull-up three against Boston. And, like, I didn't have a problem with that then either because, to me, Boston was the better team. And it's like going for two down one when you're, you know, when you're yeah, at a, it, you're unlikely to win in the next overtime, right? So, right. So I'm like, I, I'll, I, and I understand Butler's not a great three point shooter, but if I'm, I was, but Brunson is, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, a really exactly. good one. So. Right. And, and that's my point is like, if I'm fine with that for Butler, and I was, I thought that was crazy that people were going nuts about that shot. I'm 100% fine with that for Brunson. Like, I, I think that's a great shot. And it's, and people are like, oh, well, you should have called the timeout. It's like, guys, again, I, I'm not like, we can just say that Tibbs is not the best uh, after timeout play designer here. So, like, you get an open pull-up three for your best player, best scorer, best shooter, whatever you want to call it. Um, you got to take that. And I'm fine with that, and I got no problem with Brunson taking that, and I have no problem with Tibbs not calling a timeout. So, um, yeah, look, I, I do think, like, this game, though, to me, in a lot of ways, was encouraging for the Knicks because I think this is a game last year if the same exact stuff had played out for the first quarter, two quarters, three quarters in terms of the officiating. I don't think, I think Randall would have had like a mental breakdown and probably gotten his little toss from the game. I, like he, he did have that happen earlier this year, right? Against Sacramento where he thought he was getting a bad whistle. He was getting a bad whistle, but he got tossed from the game. So I think. I don't think he's um, gotten a tech since then, by the way. So credit yeah, maybe to not. Randall. No, 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 no. Uh, Breen and Clyde want to make sure that we give credit to the refs for not teeing up Randall. Um, they showed so much restraint for that. Like, I can't just say, I'm so sick of Brian and, Breen and Clyde. Like, they, like, I love those guys, but I'm so sick of them defending refs. Every, like, every call, oh, well, see, he has, his hand was, you know, touching his shoulder, and he grazed his 
his hair here. And it's like, guys, like, it's okay to just say the guy made a bad call. It's yeah. fine. It's ridiculous. Like, they were literally crediting Scott Foster for not teeing up Randall at the end of the game. It's like, really? We're going to credit him for that? Great job. You fucked up every call tonight, but you didn't tee up Randall. So, good work, Scott. I hope you hope you made your money back on this game. hope you can pay for fucking rent, asshole. Um, but, um, but, so, I, I think that these games are just getting really frustrating to watch. They're 25 and 20. I should be happier. But, um... Well, I they should be, like, 28 and... They could. They should at least be twenty-seven and eighteen. That's I mean, that's just, really frustrating. Like yesterday, this game, Chicago, Dallas. Well, the Chicago uh, and Dallas, Dallas ones are really frustrating because I. I mean, Dallas was, was I mean, another one. This one wasn't that different from Chicago. Missed free throws. Uh, the refs point. weren't out to get us against Chicago. That makes me more mad, right? That's yeah, the right, thing. Right, that, that, that's, that's what I'm saying. Is like, like this game is like, like it's a loss and it sucked, but I'm. You think that the refs are not always going to be out to get us? I, yeah, that's like, what I was like, saying. I think yeah. that the Knicks are a tough team to officiate, and they don't have the re- they don't have a star that gets the respect of apparently Scotty Barnes or Fred Van Fleet. Scotty Barnes, man, this guy. I'm so happy I was always on the he's an overrated fucking loser train because I don't know how we won Rookie of the Year. First of all, Cade was better Kate because was nobody better. nobody. Wa- I'm convinced of this. Him winning Rookie of the Year proves that people don't watch basketball. Like, how do you watch? Like, you can't have watched Cade last year and watched Mobley last year and then watched Scotty Barnes last year and been like, well, Scotty Barnes is the rookie of the year. And not just that he's rookie of the year. Shit, Franz he, had an argument over yeah, it. Franz he, is better he, now, clearly. Yeah, Franz but. is way better now. But people were calling Scotty Barnes like a generational prospect. Okay? Like, there's, I'm sorry, like, even if you thought he was rookie of the year and you thought he was really good as a rookie, which, like, he was a good rookie, like 15, 7, whatever he was, he was a good rookie. Generational prospect? Like, what are you watching? Like, what do you see? This guy can't create anything off the dribble. He is an overrated defensive player, a massively overrated defensive player. Top thirty percent three point shooter. Can't finish. There's nothing about this guy that's generational. Okay, by the way, I want to I want to bring this up because I do think this is worth bearing mentioning. Okay, um, I mentioned that I would like to see that rotation with Grimes and Barrett be switched. Uh, I'm going to read off these numbers: Quentin Grimes and RJ Barrett have played 472 minutes together. They have a plus 2.95 net rating. 122.51 offensive rating, uh, 119.56 defensive rating. Okay. Uh, Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes played 423 minutes together this year. Plus 13.13 net rating, 117.92 offensive rating. One, and that's without RJ Barrett on the floor. So Quentin so Grimes, RJ, yeah, plus 13.13. Can you do uh, that with, without Brunson on the floor? Next, sorry, yeah. I can do that actually while you're, but keep going. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I can do it right now. People alive. But, but yeah, like plus thirteen net rating. Yeah, with quickly and Grimes on the floor and no RJ Barrett. How many okay. minutes? Four hundred and twenty three minutes. Oh wow. Over uh, two seasons or over just just this season. I can do last, oh, wow. the last season. Too. Uh quickly and RJ together on the floor. Four hundred and nine minutes played, plus one point five eight net rating, one twelve point seven nine, offensive rating, one eleven point two one defensive rating. Uh quickly Grimes RJ together. All three of them on the floor. I've only played forty six minutes, which seems Insane. Um, they've only played 46 minutes. They're a plus 12.86 net rating, 100.98 offensive rating, 88.12 defensive rating. Neither of those numbers is sustainable, but uh, the encouraging thing is they've only shot 18.75% from three in those minutes, and their opponents have only shot 15.91% from three. So even if both those numbers come back up to league average, they're probably looking at a lineup that is looks like it is, it's promising, right? It's promising and looks like even with average shooting on both ends, that should be a plus. 
all my point here is more like I think one, I think quickly needs to play more and just consistently. And, and he has been. Credit. I think yeah, yesterday, yeah, yeah. yesterday he would have played thirty minutes if not for the foul trouble. One hundred percent. Tibbs deserves credit for that. Uh, and then the other thing is, I think Tibbs is over. He's putting too much of an emphasis on RJ's shot creation next to quickly instead of valuing yeah. the two way synergy that I think quickly and Grimes have, which is really good. Like I think, or, or RJ needs to figure out how to play better off the ball. I think RJ and quickly were good together last year. Because RJ was doing more of the off-ball stuff. They're running him more, you know, I think they have good chemistry in that pistol. Now it seems like RJ is creating more from standstills and quickly watch it, right? I think they were also at better synergy last year as well. Uh, another stat on kind of, so I, to the argument that I was making even earlier, that I, would, I wouldn't I would mind seeing Brunson, IQ, and Grimes together, especially since Grimes can defend threes and IQ. So in about 200 minutes, just over 200 minutes played, so smaller sample, IQ and Grimes without Brunson have a plus 13 net rating. Um, it's worth noting that opponents are shooting 25% from three in that time, so probably not that great, but they have a 113 offensive rating, so it's not like the offense is really struggling with IQ and Grimes out there. Um, opponents are probably shooting better than on twos than you'd expect because a lot of those minutes are with Hartenstein. But, um, is this know, quickly in Grimes with, with Brunson the run- on the bench? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just looked that up too, and I think, like, again, like there isn't there is a natural synergy to how quickly and Grimes play together on both ends, on both ends of the floor. Like there, there is something there with those guys. Uh, I, I really think they should consider switching that up or change the rotation, stagger it differently, whatever, however you want to phrase it. But like, I you can even try more Grimes on ball stuff too, right? That's yeah, probably I, something like. I'm not saying like a lot of people. I've seen people say he played point guard in college. Quickly sucks. Why doesn't Grimes play point guard? Um, I think that it's more like side pick and rolls. Like they cannot go under against Quentin Grimes ever, right? Mm. Um, I don't know if he can split a double team yet. He, I don't know if he can deal with hard hedges. But a few times a game with a favorable matchup, you, you need to be. You, he needs to take more than five shots. That that's, um, you know, that's it, it's it's like it, it, he's their only shooter. You know, it's. I mean, there's just tons of football analogies, right? It's it's like if they leave a guy in man coverage all game and you target him once. Um, you know, that, that you, you just, you, you can't do that. So, um, like if you have really, a mobile quarterback and you just don't use him to run the ball for the first two and a half quarters. Yeah. Especially the when the team is fucking building up the box. When you run a <laughs> trick play that was used, that is pretty full circle though, isn't it? That like the first time I saw Philly special in a game, greatest play in a championship <laughs> game I'd seen, I went nuts, came full circle to use it. And I knew exactly what they were fucking doing. I was like, "God damn it!" Everyone in the stadium probably. Knew. Yeah, it was so obvious. I mean, I, um, but um, yeah, and then and then yeah, it, I guess fumbling inside the one is a Harbaugh trademark now too, right? Um, but um, how do you come back? So let's congrats on that. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about this um, Fred Katz article. Um, Which one? The, the one about the blown leads. Um, oh yeah, I know you can't. It's just luck, dude. You can't blame him. You can't blame. But I think it's just I, how it is. I think it's a well-written piece um, with, with help from a uh, from friend of the pod, Seth yeah, Partnow. Pro- propaganda tends to be well-written. <laughs> uh, I don't think Seth Partnow is in the uh, Tibbs propaganda business. So. Oh, I don't think he is, but I don't, but he didn't write the article. So. <laughs> um, but, um, but anyway, the, the essence of the article, and a lot of people have brought this up. Um, the, the essence of the article is that, um, the Knicks have, at the time it was written, the Knicks had blown seven double-digit advantages and losses this season. That's eight now. I, 
Uh, that's eight. That was after the Bucks game. Um, I I just looked it up in Stat Muse. I can't confirm it, but apparently the Celtics have blown the most leads. But in when this article was written, the most leads were blown by Portland. Um, the Knicks were at seven, which is still it's um I think only seven other teams have only seven teams had blown at least seven double digit advantages. So you know, fourteen have blown at least six, and twenty five have blown at least five. It's actually pretty freakishly linear progression there 7 14 21 but um but um you know one there's st- that's still two extra losses over um the other teams um uh, but the, the idea is that there's the three point thing i do uh, some of the questions that came up for me were like well how many of those double digit leads were in the first half because if it's the first half that i think in the thresholds like blowing a 23 point lead in the first half against atlanta is different than blowing like a twelve point lead in the second quarter against Philly. I mean, right? like that Philly game, I wouldn't have considered the Philly game a blown lead. They, yeah, they yeah, collapsed yeah. on the stretch, but that was a better team that stayed with them. But like, um, but like, how many times have they been up ten in the fourth? How many times have they been up where they just have to hit free throws? I still think that those would probably be a higher rate. And this is not to to get out for tips. I think the question is because I mean, you're you, you you bet right? You dabble in gambling, so. And the reason why you talk about the refs, too, is for the same reasons you mentioned it, how much predictive power we're trying to figure out is if this is really fluky, at some point the Knicks should start winning these games, right? Or win them at a more normal rate. It doesn't mean that now they're going to win all of them. It should mean that going forward, they shouldn't lose this frequently. So just real quick, I misspoke earlier. The Knicks' worst quarter by defensive rating is actually the third quarter. They have a 118.7 defensive rating in the third. That's 27th in the league. Uh, in the fourth quarter, they're actually surprisingly good. Um, so I think I would like to... Relative to the rest of the league? Yeah, they're actually pretty good. Uh, so in the fourth quarter, the Knicks have a second. Uh, these are all on NBA.com, by the way. Uh, their defensive rating is... It's not great. It's average. They're 14th, 110.8 defensive rating. But like, I, I think... Um, you know, I would like to see the numbers on this. I would imagine they've blown a lot of these double-digit leads in the third quarter. And so then all of a sudden you get into tight fourth quarters and it's like, you know, it's like a, it's a variance thing where, like, I, I think the variance in play in the fourth quarter is probably just a variance thing. Like, I, I don't, I do think it's probably random and, or not random, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's... You would expect over a longer period of time the Knicks to lose right. or win those games at the same rate as everyone right. else. The, the biggest issue for me is the third quarter. Um, and like, I think, I think there is something to be said for like Tibbs, as we know, is very much like a, this is what we do, and this is how we do it, and we do that for 48 minutes, and if we do it well, and we execute it well, we're going to win the game, right? We can live with the result, and I think most, I think there are coaches who can take advantage of that coming out of halftime, where they can make adjustments, and, you know, that bears out with the numbers, right? So, like, is that is that is that just a fluke or is it a characteristic of the team that is being influenced by how their coach approaches things? I think it's the latter. There are good sides to what Tibbs does and there are bad sides to that. The good the good thing is I think we get off to good starts in games because we have a very defined like this is what we're doing. But I think in games when teams adjust, um, that's a problem. I thought yesterday like again, the the Scotty Barnes stuff in in the third and fourth quarter, especially, was ridiculous. You don't need to aggressively help on this guy in the rim. He'd have the ball like 
10 feet from the hoop with five seconds on the shot clock, you don't need to send like a help defender and leave Siakam and OG and Obi wide open in the corner for threes. Like, no, just just stay at home. Like, let him. And yeah, and the other thing was, and that was also that's not a thing that if anything, the Knicks have probably played straight up more. That was just a weird. I don't even know if that's a Tibbs thing. It was just a weird decision. No. I think it was a Tibbs thing, but like, well, it, it's a. I, I'm saying it. It was obviously a Tibbs directive. My point is like doubling when in when in doubt, double the post. Like even, I mean, he's left he left them in single coverage on Embiid a lot, right? So yeah, and so what I would say is like, uh, you know, with Tibbs, it's I I don't think he is like there's just like so the way think of it is like there's situational basketball, right? So if you're up ten with whatever five minutes, six minutes left, whatever the hell it was, your goal like. I am so like I thought about this for a long time, right? People are like mid range is inefficient, not good. But I think oh, in a shorter time frame, there are, there are times where the mid range can actually be a very very valuable tool offensively. Like if you have a twelve point lead with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, a wide open two point jumper is probably a better value because it's a higher percentage shot. Than, I also like, don't think anyone says wide open mid range shot, right? Enough. But like I'm saying, like, like all right, Brunson. If I'd, I'd rather him take him. An in rhythm mid range jumper with a twelve point lead with like five minutes left. Then, oh my god, I have an in rhythm mid range jumper, but let me swing it to like RJ for a somewhat open but probably somewhat contested three. You know, like that to me is you're playing. You need to play the situation, not just the shot chart. And so, like for me, it's like okay, what what's the quickest way for a team to get back in the game? It's a three. Like wide open threes are going to be the way for them to cut the lead quickly, or free so, throws. Yeah, or free throws. So, so like I would much rather have Scotty Barnes have to make five consecutive twos, and have them have to make five consecutive stops to close a ten a ten point deficit, rather than we play our scheme regardless of the situation and we live with what we live with as a result. And you know? it's, it's not even their scheme to double like that. On The only guys that, like, they doubled hard in the Philly game, which, um, not in the most efficient way, but, like, you understand doubling James Harden. Uh, but they've generally lived, I mean, they doubled Luka because he had 60 points. And also, like, they did a, they should have won that game. I had no problem with the defensive scheme in that Dallas game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they did what they were supposed to do. Yeah. Um, but so it's I don't even think like doubling Scotty Barnes I wouldn't say doubling Scotty Barnes the tips it was just a weird decision you know what I mean like um but I mean I think getting back to like so getting back to the cats piece so I think it's worth noting yeah like there is a lot more randomness the three point shooting matters um I think there's probably some nuance and some the fact that the Knicks have both been unlucky and have kind of and probably have a style that hurts themselves a bit more than other teams late in games, but even if you don't want to buy that, I wonder if there's so many teams that blow leads, and there have to be a lot of, there probably are some teams that are adept at getting back in the game. The Pacers. The Pacers are yeah. really, really good. Yeah, and and what do the Pacers have a lot of? Shooting. Yeah. Um, and the Knicks don't have, or they don't use their shooters like that, right? They, they really have one reliable shooter. They have two, Brunson and, and Grimes, but Brunson has to create. Um, Quickly, if he gets going, which I think he will, I mean, he's been shooting the ball better of late, but even yesterday was one for four from three. So, quickly right now looks like a 35% three point shooter at best, and he's shooting worse than that. 
I think he's capable of more than that. I obviously think you do as well, but they don't have a lot of shooters and they don't get them looks. So I wonder if, yeah, we get the benefit or we, we, we get screwed by blown leads, but we never get the benefit. We never, the shoe never ends up on the other foot for us. You know, like, have we had like one like comeback like that this year? Maybe one, one or two against Philly. In um, yeah, Philly without um, without Embiid and Harden, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um. So you know, I'm and that's not. I'm not. I don't know. I don't say that. There are people who have just like ripped the Knicks, but like every game they win is yeah. They haven't beaten a lot of good teams. I, like that's the thing. I see everyone make this comment. Who have the Knicks beaten that's ahead of them? You know what? No one. But they have 25 wins. I mean, they that's the all Cavs. you can ask. They that's the one team, right? The Cavs. Um. So uh, the Cavs, who apparently traded for the greatest player in the history of mankind, who the Knicks were stupid to not uh, light their entire. All, all I will say is for. that all I will say is I think the conversation about this team is like, and I don't look. I want to be very clear about this. I don't think we have the top end talent that you do. I don't think that the upside of this team is what the upside of that team was. Uh, but the conversation around this team, if you look at all the metrics, but then you look at some of these late blown leads and results they've had. It's a lot like Boston last year. Like Boston, had, yeah, you it was, made, yeah. It, it's it's a lot. Like I remember going. Like I remember this. I remember last year. Like, and it's worth noting Boston has two has one of the more gifted isolation scores in Jason Tatum and another really good score in Brown. So it's like, yeah, it's not they didn't have star power. That's why they lost close games. You know, but, yeah, and and no, and I was just gonna say like, I think. If you go back and you remember like what the conversation was about the team, but then you look like I remember the conversation was like, oh my god, Brown and Tatum don't work together. They keep blowing all these leads. This team isn't, you know, they're they're not growing. They need to they need to make a move. Um, and I was probably one of those people who thought that at the time. But if you, I remember looking at all their metrics, like all of them, net rating, shot quality, all that shit, and you're just like, and even like shot quality against, and you're like. Man, this doesn't make any sense. Like this team is, they, they're like top ten by every metric, and they're sitting here with a five hundred record. Obviously, the Knicks have a better than five hundred record, but like some of it might, it might just be a bad, bad, bad luck in some of these close losses. It really could just be that. And in the moment for us, we're like, and I'm, I am guilty. I'm probably guilty of this, so I'm not trying to like act like I'm above it. But I, I think some of this might be like we're in the moment. And it's hard to not get caught up in it. Like, you know, like, you know, I, I remember, like, I look, the Bills played the dumbest football game I think I've ever watched in my life this weekend. They ended up winning somehow because the Dolphins had, they suck. But, like, in the moment, I'm like, oh, my God, the defense, fuck it, they're not getting it done. Or, and then you look, go back and watch, and you're like, well, like, like, what are the touchdowns? Is a fumble six, you know? They they stopped them on a short field like four times, held up the field goals. Like it probably was a lot better than I think. And I would just wonder, like, like look, I've gone back and watched a lot of these Knicks games. It's harder in basketball to know exactly like what is a good, you know, what's a good closeout, what's a bad closeout. That's a very subjective thing. Um, what are the what whose rotation was that? These are all like very very subjective things. But like, I do wonder if there's if. You know, maybe by the end of the season, right, we'll be sitting there after 82 games and we'll be like, yeah, but I guess we just had a really weird, like, run in the middle of the season where we lost a bunch of close games that we probably should have lost, but then we got our, you know, then evened out by the end of the year. Will that happen? I have no clue. Um, I think the Knicks are still two games behind their Pythagorean uh, win-loss, so, like, they're, they're still a little bit behind expectations, but, like... They also have a tough schedule coming up, and I yeah. think there is something to the fact that they look a lot better against teams in their weight class than... 
to Milwaukee. Well, they've looked good against Milwaukee, but it always feels like against Milwaukee. They just can't close out those games. And it's like, and it's but like, I think against a team like Milwaukee, we haven't played Boston yet, have we? Yeah, we played them once. We, lost we played them once. Right. It was a blowout, right? Yeah, Reddish played that, so it doesn't count. <laughs> well, the point is, against those, like a team like Milwaukee, every time we have a lead, I'm like, I'm really encouraged with how they're playing. But it's it also feels like a matter of time before, you know, Milwaukee kicks it to another gear and the Knicks can't match that. Well, see, like for me, every time we watch Milwaukee and we play them, I'm always worried, like, it's like they, what they want to do offensively is collapse the, the defense and kick out for three. Yeah, and that's like what you're <laughs> ready to do. So we're Lucy, just, goal, we're like Charlie Brown kicking the Lucy football, right? And, and we, just, we just need to, like, and, and this is what I mean about like situational defense. Like, I just think you need to be able to switch it up sometimes. Like, like don't, like, just run, run, play Randall at the five, switch everything for two minutes, you know? Start blitzing for a couple minutes. Play Randall and Obi together and have them blitz, pick and roll. Like, just try a few things. Throw some wrinkles in there, and like, it's it, it doesn't even against the team that's playing zone, right? Throw in Svi for a few minutes, right? See if you yeah. can get some shooting. I mean, maybe Svi is just the worst defender in the history of mankind. If you can't get shooting on the floor, and it's especially against a bench unit, you know, put a shooter out there. Yeah, I just I, I just think like it's not. I I I actually want to say like. I know there's been a lot of uh, pearl clutching over the minutes lately, and I do understand it, and I do think it's like pretty extreme. But I actually like I've been pretty encouraged the last two or three games in the sense of like Tibbs has actually weirdly tried some things. He just hasn't stuck with them in the second half, which I think is him being like that. It's it's when it gets into that like closer to the end of the game, you can kind of sense he's so desperate for the win, he doesn't want to like deviate from what he feels is the best thing to do and that he's confident in. But like against Detroit, for example, he played Obi and Randall together at the end of the first quarter for a little bit. And I thought he like I I liked the rotations in that game in the sense of like I, I like that he has Brunson play in that fourth quarters now a lot of times at the start of the fourth quarter with quickly. Like I like some of these things he's doing. I just think he needs to find a way to buy Brunson especially, but also Randall, like another like two, three, four minutes of, of rest. And like like one of the things I've been thinking about is if he doesn't trust Deuce, okay, so be it. There's 144 minutes between the three spots, right? One, two, three. If you just play like Brunson quickly grimes RJ, they that's an average of 36 minutes apiece. So if you know RJ has to play 37 or whatever it is, but like all those guys should be able to get plenty of minutes, okay? And I think you should get a little freaky and like try Obi at the three. Uh, I don't mind that. I don't mind trying Obi at the three with Randall. If you're like, if you need, like, I would rather bump so up. Tibbs Obi. is too puritan. He's not kinky enough for you. Yeah, he's not. He's definitely not kinky enough for me. Um, but like, I would like to. Like, I I think. If if he's and he doesn't have confidence in Deuce and he and I get why he doesn't have confidence in Deuce because Deuce doesn't have confidence in himself right now, but like this this to me is like where I would like to see him just be a little bit more out of the box and just try some shit because I think Obi has things that we could really use with this team and could give us a little bit more offensive juice in those minutes where we're kind of struggling to find shit. Um, so play him more at the four, play him at the three with Randall, play him at the four next to Randall at the five. Like, I don't care, but you've got to find this guy more minutes. And I just think you need to, like, 
you know, like, again, the backcourt is if he doesn't trust Deuce, I get that. And to me, that's a front office thing where it's like, okay, you've got some contracts, you have picks, you have some shit, probably need to go get another guy so that he can move Deuce back to situational bench, whatever. And, you know, now you have a ninth guy and that brings some balance, everything. He doesn't have to ride Brunson as hard as he's been riding him. But like, that sounds pretty freaky. Yeah, it does sound pretty freaky. But Obi, Obi's got to play more. I don't care. I, I know that he's going through some shit, but like, one, I think a lot of that has to do with how we're using him. And two, I just, I don't care. We need to find out what this kid has in more minutes. Play him. Play him through some bullshit. Play him through his good times. Whatever it is, you can play. If Randall's going to play however many minutes he's playing anyway, you can cut Hunts. You cut some minutes from Hunts and you cut some minutes from Rant, from Mitch. I think especially you can cut him from Mitch because Mitch, to me, when he has to play more minutes, he's not able to to sustain the impact over like when he gets thir- over thirty two minutes. I think he really struggles. So I'm fine with limiting Most him. Most bigs are the, like I don't think yeah. Rudy Gobert plays much more than that usually, right? So. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is Rudy but that's Gobert now, but like it's I mean, so, all right, no, so you're, right. you're right. Like a guy like Aiton, what is the average, right? He's not playing on 35, 40 minutes. No, and I think I think the, we saw this with the Pacers for the longest time with Hibbert, right? Hibbert would play like twenty eight minutes. That was it. Like he couldn't play more. Uh, well, yeah, you're right. Most bigs aren't able to play as many minutes, and that is totally normal. So, like to me. This is that's like the the opportunity, right, to play Randall with Obi, and we've seen enough from that group where like, is it always going to be good? Probably not. But are there nights where maybe it swings a three or four minute stretch in your favor? Yeah, I think it could. So like, it's worth it to try that if if you know for no other reason other than to get Obi on the floor more and up his value if need be for a trade down the line. But like, he needs to play more. Um, and I do think like if there's anything, I would be really critical of Tibbs for over this last stretch, it's probably that. And like, look, people can sit here and be like, well, he's got to play Deuce more, he's got to find value. He doesn't, he, Reddish is done. Reddish is never playing anymore. You can sit here and cry about it. It's not going to happen. He's done. So he's not part of the only quickly passed him the ball and didn't fucking hate him. Yeah, right? That's the real issue. But like, he's done. Rose is a corpse. I've seen enough, like, he gave Rose a chance, right? When Brunson was back out, was out of the rotation, was out because of an injury and RJ was out, he had to play Rose. Rose was terrible. How do you know that good. Tibbs just doesn't hate Rose and has a grudge against him? Could be. Fournier, <laughs> not good. Like, he's given these guys opportunities, and maybe if you want to argue that, you know, they're struggling maybe because of how he's using them and the way he's running the offense, that's fine. But, like, that is what it is. That's not changing. So, like, at that point, if you're the front office, you need to go get somebody that he does trust, that can fit into whatever the hell he wants them to do. Is that Eric Gordon? Is that Gary Trent Jr.? Is that Malik Beasley? I don't know. But those are the type of guys that they probably should be looking at and that they can get without paying an exorbitant cost. So um, I'm at the point where I think this is like somewhat on the front. I think it is on the front office. Would you worry if they get a guy like Eric Gordon or Malik Beasley, would you worry about Quickly's minutes now getting back to 20 minutes again? Uh, You know what? I'll say this. I don't. I actually think Tibbs has demonstrated in this stretch. I think quickly is like one of his guys. Like quickly is one of the, like I thought in the beginning of the year, he was being really weird and shitty with quickly's minutes and role. And, like, <laughs> do, you think, do you think Tibbs in like 15 years is going to be coaching some team and going to bring back quickly as like, yes, the old might. bet. And then like, there's going to be some young point guard who's way better, but they he's starting the corpse of Emmanuel 38 year old quickly. And it's it, like, it that everyone happen. hates quickly. Yeah. It could, like, but, like, I think the way he's talked about him recently, I think he's called him, like, indispensable to the team, and, 
you know, the way he's talked about him recently, obviously he's like gushed about him. So like I, I think that he I think he's always understood that quickly is valuable to the roster and to, to the team because of his versatility. I think part of but the I don't think I don't think was... I think there's a difference between knowing it and then like fully appreciating it and committing to like, okay, this guy, every time I throw some shit at him, he just figures it out. Like he figures out how to be a plus player. And I think this year especially like I mean that stretch without Brunson and RJ, um, like I thought quickly aside from Randall, like he was our best player. I didn't even think it was that close. So I mean, the, the question is like if you get a guy like Malik Beasley, he's not playing twelve minutes a game, right? And part of what has given quickly the extra minutes is that Deuce is limited, right? I don't think Deuce even played in the second half yesterday. He hasn't played uh, in the second half the last like three games. Which opens so so quickly gets all of the backup one and two minutes essentially. Well, so like this is so what he would this, not. He would get the backup minutes at essentially only one position if you get a guy like Beasley or Gordon. Right? I Maybe would, Gordon. I would, would guess that but... RJ's minutes would come down because I think Grimes would get more minutes at three. Then, so, so let's say so. Let's pick one of those guys. I think Gordon is probably the cheapest because of age. Yeah, definitely. is that fair to say? Yeah. Let's say they get Eric Gordon. I don't. I think Gary Trent Jr. is going to be is going to cost and probably overcost. And, and I don't uh, think they want to. I don't think they want to because he's a he'll probably going to opt out. So yeah, he's going to have so to get a new That's the whole reason he's getting traded. Um, and then Beasley's intriguing. We can get to, get to that in a second. Let's assume they trade for Eric Gordon. What would you see the minute split? Just do the one through three positions. All right, I will do that. But before I do, the NFL playoff picture is locked in. And my go-to place for wildcard round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road, Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wildcard round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, so I would say, let me just, so that's 144 minutes we're talking about, right? Okay. okay. So I think Brunson gets, I, oh, I, I mean, but there's only, there are some restrictions. Quickly can't play the three and Grimes yeah, yeah, yeah. and RJ can't play the one, right? Yeah, that's fine. Gordon, I think. So, yeah, yeah, trust me, I would not want any of those guys to play the one. Uh, even though Tibbs might randomly want to play RJ at the one. Um, I don't think anyone's done that since Fizdale, right? right? Yeah, the first game of his career. <laughs> Idiot. Uh, I would say 34 minutes for Brunson. I quickly would... gets 14 as the backup one. Yeah, quickly gets 14 as the backup one. I think Grimes goes 32, and RJ goes 34. So how many minutes are left over? Uh, so that's 16, and so that's 30 minutes left over. Okay. So if you want quickly at 30 minutes a game, he needs to get 16, which means Eric Gordon's only getting 14 minutes a game, which maybe he's fine with since he's not. I mean, I would, if he can get out of Houston and play on a playoff team, I'm I sure think he would like that. I think he'd be so fine you, with it. I also don't know that it happens because he's Eric Gordon, he's a vet, and I think Tibbs might trust him. But so that, but that is just the way you see it out that like they get one of those guys, but that guy just is still not prioritized and, over a guy like quickly. You know, and like this is the thing is like, this is where I think Tibbs' rigidity actually hurts you, is like, this wouldn't even be a problem to worry about if he would ever just try, like, RJ at the 4 and Randall at the 5. 
right? Because that naturally opens up minutes. And it's not like he's playing Obi a shit ton. Like Obi's already getting fucked, right? So it's not like it's not like that that screws him over anymore that it already that he already is getting screwed. So like this wouldn't be a problem if he would be a little bit more flexible with that. Can he? I mean, he's actually. I, I would actually re- encourage people to go back and listen to his um, post game after the Washington game on Friday. I, he must have. He must have been in a. He was in a really good mood. That's probably the most fucking relaxed I've seen in a while. But he has a girlfriend in DC. Sounds like yeah, he might be. Uh, or a boyfriend, mate. Or yeah, uh, you know he. You know, you can always uh, you can always pay for action in DC, uh, but like, I think that he he mentioned specifically like that small lineup. He liked that it could switch more. He liked some of the things about it. So, like again, this is this is always the weird thing with Tibbs, where it's like he clearly understands the value of these things and what the benefit can be. It's always about can he get to the point of trusting. And he hasn't shown that consistently yet, except for like the biggest moments of games. So this is like the Frank Milikina thing, where it's like, I don't trust you for forty-seven minutes a game, but you're my guy. When I go guard Trey Young with the game on the line, <laughs> go go lock him up real quick for me, Frank. But it's just like, like this is always the weird thing with Tibbs, where he clearly understands the value of specific things, but then executing on it and following through on it is is difficult for him. So, um. Yeah, and, and I, just for, yeah. on Eric Gordon specifically, he's averaging. So he's thirty-four years old. So I think there may be some truth to the fact that he wouldn't even mind kind of a, a more reduced role. Um, but he's played. He's averaged thirty minutes a game this year uh, on a team with that's obviously trying to prioritize a lot of younger players in the same kind of position. Um, he's played essentially twenty-nine minutes a game the last four years, um, and you know, so he, he's never in a limited role um would he accept a more limited role given that he gets to be on a contender um i don't know but and i would imagine and malik beasley is in the prime of his career so he's looking for his next contract uh i don't know that someone like that would be willing to to take a reduced role and and i think the other thing is like well you know what the bench is not lighting it on fire with quickly uh, you can argue that he should be given the ball more and maybe that would help. But um, the fact of the matter is, as things stand, they need help there. And if that comes at his expense, this is a team trying to make the playoffs and they can't be sensitive towards those feelings. Um, Malik Beasley actually averages fewer minutes than Gordon, who's only playing 27, 20, he's only playing 27 minutes a game this year. Uh, but again, you know, I don't think he would come here so that I, I mean, you see the issue that I'm bringing up, right? Like it, it quickly's minutes become a little bit challenging to maintain, um, and for all the, the shitty things about the bench kind of lacking some teeth, that um, you know that's been the one positive, right? Is is quickly been getting more minutes. Yeah, and like I'm actually like this is this is like one of the weird things where I think one of our main concerns was if quickly's not getting minutes, is he going to be like? Is he just gonna like try to get the fuck out of here? And I do think that was a valid concern coming into the season. Um, but like now that he's getting, I again, I never thought the issue was starting versus not. I. I always thought it was about minutes. And and to Tibbs's credit, he's closed multiple games with him too. You know, at the expense of RJ. Or at the I think he would have closed yesterday if he wasn't in foul trouble. Because yeah, I think the last two games he had over yeah. RJ. So yeah. So I think that like I think if. If you ask quick if he's happy with his role, yeah, I mean maybe he'd like to, a chance to really start, but like I like myself in my role. Yeah, he's the, he's perfect, right? He's the fourth guard now, so it's great. Um, 
But like but that role would change if we were to acquire one of the guys who I do think would help. Don't get me wrong, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the balance to figure out here is like, what is the what's what price is worth paying to marginally improve this year? Like, honestly, I don't not really interested in making the type of move that's like that. Your goal would be well, if we make this move, we need to win a round of the playoffs. I just want to make a move to make sure we get into the playoffs, right? Like, like I don't not a Eric, given, yeah. Like I don't think Eric Gordon is gonna like change our fucking future or anything. I do think that he would look. Like, let's be let's be real. Like, you think he's gonna call, he'll cost the first probably? Right? He'd probably I cost. So. The I don't think so. Who's gonna give the first for thirty four year old Eric Gordon? Um, a protected first, like a heavily protected first. A team that like a team like well, Boston doesn't have any left, right? Like so, one Boston, of those teams. Boston would have to trade a future one. They're not gonna do it. Like any team, like you're, we're talking about contenders, basically, right? That's who you're yeah. talking about. Okay. Denver doesn't have any picks to trade. Uh, Boston, Why? they've traded all of them. For what? Oh, like for Aaron Gordon and stuff like Aaron that. Aaron Gordon. Wow. They traded another one this off this past off season. They've traded a lot. Um, Miami, they're not going to do it. Uh, who? I mean, Miami's not even a contender. Philly, Philadelphia yeah. doesn't have picks. Yeah, yeah, they don't have picks. Brooklyn doesn't have picks. Well, Brooklyn has Cleveland doesn't pick, have picks. Yeah. Cleveland doesn't have picks. Like the, it's like Memphis. Memphis has picks. Are they going to do it? He they have a lot picks. of guards too. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 maybe if Memphis is moving on from Dylan Brooks or something. But. Yeah, but then it's like, why are you going? You know, like how does Eric Gordon fill that boy? I don't. That doesn't really make sense. And, <laughs> and also, you're not going to trade. You're New, not Orleans trade picks. New Orleans has picks. Are they going? Do they want? Does Eric Gordon want to go back to New Orleans? And does New Orleans want to have Eric Gordon back there? I, I mean, he's got a chance to the ring. <laughs> I I am skeptical that did, did he was he literally did he hated in New Orleans. He told them because they so he got traded there right for for Chris uh, Paul for Chris Paul Chris, and yeah. then when he was a free agent he signed an offer sheet with Phoenix and told New Orleans he like begged them to not match it they were like okay dude that's cool but we're gonna go ahead and match it <laughs> because what the hell are you talking about but he didn't want to be there and I mean he's a pro so he kept his head down he actually had a couple good seasons there but like he was not you know he, I don't think that's that's gonna happen. He'd be good in Dallas. He'd, He'd be good in Dallas. Sure. Yeah, they yeah, right. So it's just like they have. I think the Knicks. I'm not saying they're in the driver's seat because, as we know, after the Donovan Mitchell thing, I don't want to say the Knicks aren't in the drive. Like they have a decent shot. I don't think there's a team out there that's going to give up a first for Eric Gordon. Um, and I do think the Knicks could be like, "Hey, look, we'll give you Reddish, we'll give you Rose expiring, and a second round pick for Eric Gordon." Like, what are you realistically getting that's better than that? If you're the Rockets, you're getting like. A decent, like a prospect who maybe you can, you suck. So maybe you can like, you have the opportunity to give him minutes and see what he has. Uh, Rose is expiring, so you save money on Gordon's salary for next year. Maybe you can buy him out, save a couple million because he's going to go sign a vet in somewhere. He's going to make twenty million dollars next year, by the way. Um, Gordon. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. And and guess what? For the Knicks, I think that's perfect because then you have Gordon and Fournier together. That's like thirty-eight million dollars of expiring salary. That's I think the Knicks want that. I think they that puts them in position to yeah, now for for somebody. For I mean, if if a star became available, that would at least already like you're already there almost with salary, right? That like you're in the mix. And I don't want to like we'll see what happens. We'll see who the cat. Let's say that like a Devin Booker for whatever reason he became available. So now you could say a lot like, more likely now than it did a year ago. Yeah, yeah. right. But like I, I don't know what his what Booker's number is, but I think I'm pretty sure that like. Now you'd be like, okay, Gordon Fournier's expiring. Is Booker salaries. a free agent? 
no, he's he already signed an extension. Um, those I mean, two will guys, he be when is so he's locked he's up? He's not a free agent until forever. I'm just saying, I'm just giving an example of a guy, but it's like trade. Yeah, you could include those two salaries and be like, hey, we'll we'll make RJ Barrett the centerpiece of this deal, uh, and you give us Booker, we'll throw in picks, obviously, and that that's the, like. I think he would cost more than Donovan Mitchell. So I think it'd have to, it'd have, probably have to be two of the young guys. And he's one of the guys I would, I like, I mean, I hate Booker playing against them, but I, he's a better yeah. player than Donovan Mitchell. Or he was before this season. I, I think he's better than Donovan Mitchell. I think he's better than. Oh, Mitchell's, Mitchell is shooting at like a Steph Curry rate almost and um, defending. Will both of those things last? If they do, then I think it's a real conversation. I would have said it was not a conversation before. Dude, this year. the Suns are playing at a 13 win pace without Devin Booker this year. They are terrible, and he's like he had them as the one seed. Um, I think. He's, I mean, I think he's I mean what's what's Mitchell shooting right now? He's shooting over forty percent on like threes a game. I like, look. I know. I know the percentages are crazy. I just look. Like, I think the question just, is, do you think it can last? And I yeah, and I and I just quite. I just think that like Booker is. I think he's a more polished all around scorer. He's also um, a more versatile defender. Like yeah, he's a more versatile. And Mitchell's playing good on defense this year, but yeah, he's obviously yeah. going to be two positions at most. And I think I think Booker's actually become like I'm not going to say he's a really good defender, but he's like solid. Like he's fine. He, you can. I actually think he is a really good defender. Yeah, but yeah I like that, I think he's he, yeah he's been better than Mitchell, and even now, like he can guard probably three positions pretty competently. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, but yeah, like I I just think like so that's why I, I so I. I'm actually pretty interested in Gary Trent Jr. Um, like, I think he would be an interesting addition. But like we talked about, he's going to be, be a free agent after this year. I don't think the Knicks want to give out. You know, you're probably going to have to give him like a, a three-year deal maybe. He's 23, so like that isn't a huge concern for me. But I don't think the Knicks want to do that and then have to figure out how to move him later, or package him later. Even though it's weird to me because I think he's a guy that actually retains value pretty decently. But like, like yeah, I don't he's going to be what he's going to be. Like, yeah. For a I don't while. Think, yeah, and I don't think they want. I just don't think they want to have to enter into like a contract negotiation with him this summer. Especially like, look, this free agent class sucks, right? He's probably one of the best free agents on the market. So you don't want to be in a situation where you're like, okay, well, yeah, we'll do like you know, we'll give him three sixty million, three sixty five million or something, and then some team comes in and is like, yeah, we're gonna give you four a hundred, and it's like, well, fuck, like, <laughs> do we actually want to match this? Probably not. So um, I think that's that's why I would suspect he's not in it. And then the other guy is Malik Beasley, who is on the market. I don't know. Like I so I'm I'm like I am actually curious to get your thoughts on this. There's a couple of things that are interesting. I was talking to Jeremy about this today, Jeremy Cohen. Um you should definitely not follow him. He's a fucking idiot and doesn't provide any valuable insight on basketball or the salary cap. Um but he he mentioned Eric Gordon is ninety first percentile in half court offense. I'm not exactly sure that's calculated. I think it's half court point per possession. Um, whereas Malik Beasley is 64th in half court point per uh, point per possession or her percentile, however you want to say it, 64th percentile in that. So and Eric Gordon is playing on a team that doesn't that pass. Sucks. Yeah. So yeah. More um, so I wonder, and but like my my main concern with this with Utah and with with Malik Beasley specifically is. Like they run a very motion heavy, you know, ball swinging side to side. Everybody's touching the ball in possession. Like it's a very egalitarian ball movement, player movement heavy offense. He's playing well within that system. He played well in Minnesota last year. Minnesota, at least last year, from what I saw, they moved the ball more than, than we do. 
Um, I worry Minnesota. A <laughs> yeah. I just I worry a little bit about like so. Is he benefiting from the type of offense he's in? And also, if you put him on a Knicks team where the ball isn't swinging as much, and he's probably not going to be touching the ball as much, and he's probably going to be more of a spot-up guy. Would he accept the Quentin Grimes rule? (laughs) I mean, forget accepting it. I think he would accept it. But is he as effective? Do you get the same player out of that? Because, like, I'll never forget this. I think it's, like, one of the most interesting things. I remember, obviously, back in the day when, like, there was that whole summer, right, where it was like, should Golden State trade Clay for Kevin Love? And it was all these things. And I remember reading that, like, one of the things Jerry West said was, you don't even know how good Clay is going to be because we've been, like, with Mark Jackson as head coach, we're running this, like, very stagnant, ISO-heavy offense. Um, but Kerr's going to come in. We're going to have a lot more ball and player movement. And when you see how good Clay is when we start doing that, like, you're not going to want to trade this guy. Okay? And so like, obviously Malik Beasley is not Clay Thompson, but I do wonder if some of that also applies, right? Where it's like he's benefiting from playing in this like very, very different system to what the Knicks are running. So how does he translate if you bring him over? Um, and I'm just curious because like, I, I think like we've seen that with Hartenstein. Hartenstein's a guy who played in a very, very different scheme last year on both ends of the floor, really, um, and was used very differently on offense. And the fact that the Knicks have restricted what he can do offensively, which, you know, again, I, I tend to think that, like, Hartenstein has to adjust, and that's just on him at a certain point, um, even if you want to say Tibbs is hurting him. But, like, there is something to uh, there is something to that uh, with, with Beasley, I think. Um, yeah, so that, that's a fair point. Um... Beasley is also at twenty six, uh, twenty seven, and he has a he has a team option for next year. So, assuming if you trade for him, you're probably going to be exercising that option. Uh, real quick, just want to clarify this: Gordon is ninety fourth in ninety fourth percentile in half court offense this year, uh, and Beasley is where is it at? Uh, yeah, he's like sixty first. Any benchmarks there from the Knicks? No, I can try to ask though. Oh, you, those are just the only two that you have. Sorry, I thought you were looking yep. at a list. No, uh, no. Um, yeah, that would be helpful to know just like um, what it's being added. Um, another guy, so, but you would, it sounds like what you're, you're looking at a bunch of 6'3", 6'4", guys, and you're saying the biggest need, it sounds like, is shooting. And in Eric Gordon's case, he gives you some shot creation too, right? I think he's an underrated defender too. He's a good, he, I think he's a good defender. Um, yeah. But um, he's 34, um, probably not a long-term piece. Um, but you know, there is another defender who may be available and an awesome defender who I would personally love to watch with Emmanuel quickly, uh, or Quinn Grimes or even Deuce, um, who also shoots 39.5% from three, albeit unlimited attempts. Uh, is that something you might be interested in? Uh, I might be interested in that. He looks like Caillou as well. Uh, is a pain in the ass for Knicks to play against. Um, but it sounds like you're not, you wouldn't be super into Crusoe probably because of the volume three point shooting. So here is, I'll throw this back to you. If you trade for Caruso, do you think that a reasonable argument can be made that while he doesn't provide shot creation, that his ability to run point could allow quickly to actually increase his usage in more of a 
combo guard, off-ball role. I think we've seen who are the guys that quickly has shined with, right? They are usually guys who can play both on and off the ball. Burks is an example. I think quickly plays really well with Jalen Brunson because Jalen Brunson is known for ISO, but he's actually a pretty good off-ball player too. He had to to play with Luka. R.J. Barrett last year, I really liked the synergy he had with quickly because they were both moving without the ball much better. This year, R.J. has been a little bit more, um, you know, slowed down the ball a little bit more. Um, so I and and I, we've we've both talked about the Knicks look better when you add connectors. That's really a lot of what Grimes has added. Like you talk about the shooting, but his decision making is able to drive and kick. Um, that helps. So Crusoe brings all of that. I think Crusoe would be great next to quickly because he can play both on and off the ball. It's not so much that he moves quickly off the ball, and it's not so much that he can play next to quickly. We have a lot of defensive flexibility, right? Caruso can guard one to three. He can pass. He can bring the ball up, so you can do some more off-ball stuff with quickly. But he can also sp- he can spot up. He can hit an open three. He can cut. Um, yeah, I think that he would be a really good fit for that. He's, he's what we would want Deuce to be, essentially, but obviously bigger and a lot better right now. Yeah, I it's it's a weird one for me because I do think we need more of a gunner. But like again, there is the argument that quickly can do that more and maybe he might even benefit from like having to balance less because I I do think it's like I I really I don't know if people really grasp how hard it is to do what quickly is doing, which is like he basically has to toggle between two, sometimes three different roles within a game. Um, and he's managed to be effective in all of them. And it's hey, like... Swiss Army knife. Yeah, there's really like... There's, for a 6'3 well, guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about this, like, it, there's not a lot of guards that that are weapons on and off ball, right? Like, and I, like, I'm not saying he's in the, this class of player, but like, you're talking about Steph, or like Brunson. Yeah, Mitchell Brunson that we have now, um, Fred Van Bleet, even though he only apparently shoots well against the Knicks. Uh, but like the, like Kyle Lowry at his best. Like the guys you're talking about, I mean, think about those names. Like those are all guys that feature heavily for excellent teams. So I think if you're going to do a Caruso deal, the argument, like the pitch to me would be like, no, no, this isn't going to. This like his lack of shot creation usage, whatever you want to call it, isn't going to be a problem because we are going to now get more out of quickly. Like he's going to get more shots up. He's going to be more of a scoring focus for us. Um, but you know, I look. This needs to be and adding another plus passer could get Obi involved as well. Right? So and, yeah, and and, and, and I think I still think that like when Grimes is out, when he's off the floor, point of attack defense is still like. A relative weakness for this roster. You don't think so, Deuce has been good at that? Or I think Deuce has struggled lately. I just think Deuce is in his own head. He, he's just like he, I, he's really got to pick. Like he just needs to sh- like he's not playing with any confidence. He clearly doesn't want to shoot the ball anytime he gets it. Like he's got to figure that out because right now he's just all over the place. Um, but like it needs to be said, Alex Caruso this year eleven point two usage um, for his career. He's a thirteen point nine usage guy. That's a little bit. Whoa. Yeah, it's look, thirteen point nine usage it is what it is. It's not that it's not that great. Fifty four true shooting over the course of his career. He's had he's had a he's on a good season this year, fifty seven. Last year he was only fifty three, but like this guy's a plus player. 
I mean, his on-off, on-court, however you want to rate it, all his impact metrics for his career are fucking great. Uh, he has logged minutes at both point guard and shooting guard this year. I think he's big enough to check some threes. We've seen him check Randall pretty credibly. So, like, he is a, a versatile piece. There's value to getting this guy. I just worry a little bit about the offense. But, like, to your point, if if he just comes in and takes the deuce role, right? Not the role, but obviously going to get more minutes. But it's like, you know, maybe even RJ benefits from that, right? Because I do think that, like, some of the issue here is Tibbs trusts quickly to run the offense in the half court, but he doesn't trust anybody other than RJ in that group to do it. I think he would trust Caruso. So maybe that benefits RJ more too, because as you were talking about, are you saying he's racist? Yes, yeah, I am. <laughs> no, but like, like as you mentioned earlier, like he's leaning too much into RJ creating shots. Maybe you get a Caruso, and he dials that back a little bit in those lineups, and that benefits RJ as well as Quick, right? So, you know, that that would be the argument, and I don't think that's an unfair one. Um, and um. And you know he's he's young. He's so it would not you know if I think Eric Gordon's contract and how much of a plus that is would kind of if you're deciding. I do. I mean, it, those are probably two more likely guys than the guys we mentioned than than Beasley and uh, Gary Trent Jr. Is that fair to say? Sorry, say that again. I would have. I would think that Gordon is the most likely candidate. To your point, I think Caruso. I would argue is more likely than a Knicks target than. Beasley or um, or Trent Jr. Especially, is that fair to say? Uh, I don't know. Um, Beasley was somebody they were interested in two years ago in free agency. Uh, like really interested. In. So maybe that's changed. Two years is a long time, and obviously they've made plenty of other roster moves in that in that period in between. So it's possible that like. They don't feel the same way about him now, or they just don't think that he's a good fit anymore for what they need. But I do think that, like, you know, look, he's CAA. Uh, they have connections with him going back. I- I'm not sure. I do think Eric Gordon is the most likely because I also think he's going to be the cheapest to acquire. Yeah, I mean, do you think Caruso would cost the first? Probably. I mean, I don't know who's going to pay it, but uh, he's probably worth it. Uh, I would. I would, that contract. I would probably. I would be fine trading a protected first for. For Caruso, for sure. Like, yeah, like, he's twenty-eight. He's on under contract for another year. And uh, two, two. Okay, yeah. So that's even better. And makes less than ten million dollars a year. And yeah, provides and, much more impact than that. So. Yeah, and he's and he's going to be a guy who like you you would I would reasonably expect him to still be valuable for at least the next three four years. Yeah, and I mean the the pace for the Bulls actually goes down when he's on the court. But I do wonder how much he can juice that transition game, right? If he's forcing so many turnovers on defense, um, or just speeding up the, the the game with you know kind of pushing those push forward passes and all of that. And also, um, I think given his size, like we know that Tibbs, like Tibbs, he 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 trusts quickly defensively, but he also like likes guys. He likes to match size to a certain extent, right? So I think. In that sense, Caruso gives him versatility uh, to move guys around and switch matchups up, which I think is valuable. Yeah. I do say I do think Caruso is a better point of attack defender than quickly. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So I would probably deploy them like that. Um, 
and I'd probably have then that frees up quickly to do more of the free safety stuff, which is what he's really. I mean, he, quickly is a good point about that, but, but he's um, he's really elite at the off ball stuff. Um, I guess the yeah, the, I mean, the only worry at that point is that yeah, like quickly probably goes down to twenty minutes a game, right? Um, so you know, does that have an impact on the rest of the roster? I don't know, but if you're adding another guy who's like an advanced stats monster, who's like a huge impact guy, who probably helps quickly shine in that role. It's worth it, um, and I do think the the defense. I guess I will say the defense with Eric Gordon. I do worry about trading for a thirty four year old and having that be the solution because that hasn't really worked out for the Knicks. Well, it worked out with Rose, but you know, for a limited period of time. You know, Eric Gordon shooting thirty five percent from three this year. He's had some bad seasons in the past. Um, I do worry about you know a decline at some point. So we'll see. Maybe maybe if they are going to play him in a more limited role, it becomes that makes more sense. But um, but yeah, it's tough to uh, tough to tell. Yeah. Um, look, I, I don't know. I, I I'm not gonna lie. Like it, I was really pissed yesterday, but I was not pissed about team performance or anything. I actually was really. It's just felt like a game we should have won, and it just happened too many fucking times here. Yeah. No. I I I I hundred percent with you there. I'm just saying like. Like I, I hate saying shit like this because it's like, who cares? Like, why would they care? What I like, but like, I was like really proud of them actually as a team. Like, I thought fought through. They fought through a lot of bullshit yesterday. Um, and it's a second, it's a second night of the back back. Weird times when we went over. Like, the fact that they, like, they could have given up at the end of regulation, right? They didn't, right? and it, they should have won in regulation. I think RJ makes that free throw. He, he was locked in. Um, I thought they were gonna fold the second quarter when they went down by like eight and there's giving up a ton of open threes i was like this doesn't look good so yeah yeah and then and then i thought they could have easily folded at the end of overtime too and they just kept fighting i thought like i randall didn't have a good shooting game i thought he played a really good game yesterday i did like i know yeah. that we talked about the rebounding being not great but i thought he competed defensively i thought his passing yesterday i'm was just gonna actually, say like the rebounding was not great compared to what he's been doing right, yeah. like so like i thought he was i think i think he's probably the next best player yesterday yeah i thought so too i thought he was really good and i thought his passing yesterday i know he had a couple of costly turnovers look again some of that is just like the limitations of what he's like the reality of what he is as a player and he was he was tired like whatever dude i, I thought he, he gave you everything you could reasonably expect and you know what i really like he took two shots at the start of overtime i think he knew that he was shot like he just didn't have it and he he deferred to brunson and to rj the rest of the way and like i actually thought that was like very that sure. was really yeah that was really good to see um like we talked about it, I think Brunson had a bad game, but like, guess what? I'm not. He had a bad game. That happens. Uh, I, I like. I know. I, I we'll probably have a little bit slightly different, slight, slight difference of opinion on how RJ played yesterday. I thought he played really well in the second half and overtime. Um, I I really thought he locked in. I know that he's going to get killed, and he deserves to get killed a little bit for not boxing out um Scotty Barnes in that play in the, at the end of regulation. But like. I don't know. He played how he played a shit ton of minutes. Like I, I just struggled to. Like, well, I think that was my bigger issue. Is I don't think he should be playing that many minutes and in that role where he's on ball as much. It's more of that than RJ himself. Uh, but um, but he also had some nice kickouts. Uh, I I liked. I mean, I, yeah, he had thirty two points on, you know, on a reasonably efficient um, shooting line. So. Um, you know, I just, I just like the spots he was getting into in the second half. Like I thought he was really patient on his post up. You know what I really like in the first half? He tried posting up Van Vliet, and Van Vliet um, poked Probably the ball from behind him. him when he 
when he spun. And what I really like is that he did the same move on him two or three times in the second half, and he learned from it. You could tell he was like, he protected the ball better. He moved it out in front of him so that when Van Vliet tried, he couldn't get to it. I thought that was really good to see. And I just thought he worked to get to his spots really patiently. Um, and, and that floater, he had a little bit of it going yesterday. I think he still got one of the worst floaters in the league by percentage, but that's still way better than what he was shooting last year. Prez has talked about this extensively. Like He's shooting it flatter, which is giving him a better percentage. It's good. I, I just think he's, he's playing in a pretty nice rhythm offensively. Um, I posted this today. Because I do think the conversation around him is, it's really weird to me. Like, I feel like every time he has a bad shooting game or a bad shooting app, people are just like, oh my God, $100 million. You just can't be like, like over the last 22 games, this guy is shooting, he's scoring 21.6 points per game, 5.9 rebounds, 2.9 assists, 45.6% from the field, 38.3% from three, 75.4% from the line, 56.7 true shooting, 51.9 EFG. Like, if you, told me, if you told me before the season, RJ is going to average 21 and a half a game, on just under 57 true shooting and just under 52 EFG, I would have been like, great. Sounds awesome. Um, look, the start of the year, like it's it's so annoying looking at his numbers because that ridiculous five-game slump he had, it, it was so bad, it's still dragging down. What in totality has been a pretty solid leap for him in terms of efficiency. Um, I think he's at 53 and a half true shooting now for the season. So like, I, I, I agree with all of that. And I do think, like, it's also annoying where, like, when quickly plays well with the starters, oh, RJ's got to go to the bench. I like, hate that. I hate it's that. It's dumb. Like, no, like, you can play all through. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's dumb. Um, but um, it's good having guys that can attack in different ways. Like, RJ Barrett isn't going to score 32 in the same way that Brunson is going to score 32, in the way that Randall's going to score 32, in the way quickly might score 32, in the way Grimes, if he ever got enough shots, would score. Like, you want guys that he can got 33 one game. Yeah, he did. That, that was the game that RJ and Brunson around Dallas. But it's like, but the like you get what I'm like. You want guys that can attack and score in different ways. I and think like, the issue comes with the fact that they use Rand, RJ in similar ways to Brunson and Randall. Like, I, I like his post up game has gotten better, and it's a guy like Van Fleet. You like that matchup, but uh, I still like him slashing from the wings. I like him getting the ball on the move. Um, I like him um, spotting up. Um, I like him. I mean, you know. So, like, it's the pro- the problem is that we talked about this. Like, when a Nick is ha- when the Nick has it going and they're hot, um, it seems like they get even. They've done this with Grimes, right? In the thirty three point game, they're like, "All right, give Grimes the ball at the top of the key. He's hot." It's like, well, that's not why he has thirty three points, right? Um, and I, I just wish they, I, I wish they had RJ go with his bread and butter more, especially since they have. At least one highly gifted isolation scorer, and another guy who's been who's been more efficient in the opportunities where he's he's featured, you know. So uh, yeah, yeah. Look, I I think that's part of him also figuring shit out. Like end of the day, like you pay the guy what one hundred and seven million guaranteed. So like whether right or wrong, the natural inclination for players is like, oh, now I gotta like prove I'm this caliber of offensive star or whatever, right? And it's not perfect. I think he obviously, I, we've been talking about this forever. Like, I really think he, he should be a four or five assist guy. I really do think that. Like, I don't think that's a high bar for him, but the openings he creates with how often he gets into the paint, like, you're talking about, I, I don't even, I, it's really not hard for me to think of him making that leap. So it's frustrating that he, it hasn't happened yet, but like, I mean, I, I, I'm, 
I think he's he's getting into a better rhythm, and I think that he has a better. He's a much clearer plan of attack now when he's going to the rim. There are still bouts of like annoying bad finishing and stupid decision making where he forces it up between guys, traffic and shit. But like for the most part, I would say that he's seen a. I think him and Quickly have shown significant offensive improvement this year. Yeah, and both of, I mean, is now up to a career-high 48% on twos, which a lot of that is that mid-range improvement. Uh, I think the free throws going in is a huge help for him. Um, well, now when he misses a free throw, I don't expect him to just miss the second one, too. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it, it looks like his touches has generally improved. Uh, I think Drew Hamlin has talked about um, you know, them improving the touch, uh, particularly in the paint. Um, I think. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I don't know that I would say I was proud necessarily. Um, I think the Knicks are way past the point of moral victories against a team like Toronto. See, normally I would agree with that, but like when you're getting fucked by the refs, like it's it was one like because I like you know I still, they, like, they need to hit free throws at the end of games. That's there's just to, it's too many know. it's too many fucking times. Okay, like, so how many games have they lost because of missed free throws? I would I would probably guess it's not as many. It's probably three or four at least. It's like it's basically Chicago. Did they Chicago, Chicago, Chicago for sure. Dallas. I don't think the uh, Dallas game is missed free throws. If you go back and watch that fourth quarter, so Rant, Mitch missed. Mitch, I, I don't. Mitch doesn't count. Mitch doesn't count. Yeah, fair. Yeah, Mitch doesn't count. Deuce made like three or four or five of six on the stretch. Like I don't really consider that. Julius went two of six in fourth quarter in overtime. But um, no, no. But the, I'm not talking about choking. I just need, they, they need to hit the fucking free throws. I, I, I don't know if it's, it's randomness. Like, I don't. You know, it's to, to me the Dallas one you lost because of. Everything else other than free throws. There's so much other bullshit in that game. Everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> yeah, um, seriously. Um, like, they I lost. Don't... I would argue yesterday cost them. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like in these games where you end up tied, and the other team gets back in the game because they're committing fouls to get back in the game, and you can't close them out. The last Toronto game, they didn't lose, but they, um, you know, it got close, and part of it was missed free throws. Um, there was the. Um, what was the game? There was Chicago and the first Toronto game. That the free throws didn't help there either. Yeah, that didn't. The, the first Toronto game. Did they miss free throws on the stretch? I feel like they just missed shots down the stretch. I think they missed some free throws too. I don't know, I, but you know, let's look this up. Let's see what are the next shooting from the free throw line in the fourth quarter. Let's see. I would venture to guess that it's probably not as bad as it. That's going to be I, my guess. It seems like a lot of guys shoot below their average. Brunson in particular. Brunson missed two in that Chicago game. Right. Um, Randall was two of six against Dallas in fourth quarter and overtime. He's been a much better free throw shooter overall this year. He's had a little drop off recently, though. All right. So the Knicks in the fourth quarter. Hey, look, you're right. Uh, they're 26 in the fourth quarter, 75.5% from the free throw line. Uh, for the whole game, they are. I would venture there. I would guess they're much closer to that. They're actually top 10. Yeah. Uh, but it's not, it's like, this is the thing. Guess what their percentage is? It's 77.8. So it's like, you're talking about, I don't know. I just, I really think that, like, I would bet by the end of the year we come back and look at these numbers, they will be right around their season average. I hope so. It's just, but it's annoying to keep seeing happen. I agree. I, look, I, I sit there, the Washington game was annoying. I don't remember if that was about a bottom. That wasn't Mr. Free throw. Brandall missed one, right? But yeah, like, those, it also seemed like the Washington-Detroit games, 
And I think the first quarter of this game, the Knicks just didn't play with a lot of intensity. And the Washington game, I was both those games, I was fine with it because, especially the Detroit game, I was like, you know, like the mark of a good team is that like you're playing a shitty team and you play bad, and it doesn't matter, and you win by double digits because you're just a lot better than them, right? But I do think like their intensity was lower against Washington and Detroit. Those are like not the games. It's more um, Chicago, Dallas. All three Toronto games have been frustrating because it seems like the Knicks should have won all three. Said they only come away with one, and all three ended up being close late in the game. Um, I fucking hate Toronto. Um, I respect Masai Ujiri. I hate them so much. I think they play the most unwatchable brand of basketball. They are. They get away with unbelievable amounts of bullshit. Uh, I. They're just brutal to watch. They are fucking miserable to watch. Uh, and I Siakam is they... very unlikable superstar, whatever. Um, like I, if I have to see that guy fucking just like throw he up, just I mean, spins around and like he just spins and spins and spins and then throws up some bullshit. I'm gonna call out and yells. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm so sick of them. I, I really, I really hope we fucking blow them out on their home court too. I just, um, I, I hope that we. I hope that they blow it up. I'm so sick of that team. I'm sick of everybody on their team. And I'm sick of how overrated everybody is on their team. Like, people are talking about OG Ananobi's fucking defensive player of the year caliber. What did he do yesterday? What I think he could go first time all defense. But, well, he, 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 um, yeah, they didn't put him on Randall. That's true. They put Barnes a lot more on Randall, if anything. He, he like, and, and, like, I've seen RJ has given him work, which is like, look, I, I think RJ's making a, made a significant leap, but, if you're talking about this guy's a lockdown wing defender, like I'm sorry, bro, I'm gonna need a lot more than that. Like, I, I mean, I think you know I disagree with you there, but um, I think one thing that is worth noting is that we often talk about, you know, when we talk about we t- when we talk about offensive stats, it's very easy to talk about context. Right? You talked about it even with a guy like Beasley. We talk about MVP conversation, or whatever, whatever is like, well, this guy plays in better spacing, right? Or this guy is used in a certain way, or this guy gets to use gets to play, you know, in a spread pick and roll offense that plays through strengths, strength, whatever. Or he plays next to guys who draw double teams all the time, so he doesn't have to create. We never talk about that. We don't talk about that nearly as much on defense. Uh, the Knicks, I think, are the best example. You know, for early in the season or last season, especially, we talked a lot about how Mitchell Robinson um, doesn't, you know, lacks agility maybe against. A, a, you know, in the pick and roll against really quick ball handlers, or has to play more conservative and drop. Look how much better he looks when he plays next to Grimes and quickly, right? Then next to Fournier and Kemba Walker. Um, and so you talk about a guy like OG Ananobi or any of these guys. You play him next to Barnes, next to Siakam, next to Van Vliet, who's still a good point of attack defender. You know, like how much of that is his individual greatness? Right? <laughs> He's being put in pretty good positions playing next to, you know, pretty a, a bunch of good defenders, right? So. Yeah, um, yeah. I just I despise everything about that team. And uh, that was I, too fucking. Fr- it feels a little bit like the first tip season. We couldn't beat Miami and we couldn't beat Philly, and all of those games went down to the wire. It feels a little bit like that with Toronto, where like it feels we should be winning these games and it just not fucking happening. So like, there's, there should be three zero between these two teams. Yeah, I mean, we gotta figure out how to close out some of these games. That's for sure. Uh, all right. I think that's a good place to end our podcast today. Uh, Stacy, let the people know where they can find you. Plug anything that you like to plug. Uh, you can find me Stacy Patton eighty nine. Um, nothing to plug. 
Awesome. Uh, I have nothing to plug other than your mom, uh, but uh, I will plug all the work at Strickland as well. I will plug all the podcasts. Uh, check out Draft Strickland, you know, the, the mailbag. Check out the rundown. Tyrese and Sam are doing uh, a great job on those after each game, and Jeff as well. Um, and check out all the articles and stuff that we got on the website. Uh, definitely check out any recap that's written by Matthew Brand, by the way. All right. That is our any pod he's on. Check yes. out Matthew Miranda's pod that he don't posted. check out his pod. It's a bad pod. Actually, it's not his fault though. His, his <laughs> co-host is terrible. Uh, all right, that is our pod for today. I hope everybody has a great week. I'll see you on Friday.